Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 27. If you don't have your Bible, shame on you. We'll give you one. We're happy to give you one. We want you to have one. We don't want you to... You've got to make sure that what I'm teaching is right. Amen? If you don't have a Bible in your hand, how do you know that I'm telling you the truth? So make sure you have God's Word. All right. Well, 1 Samuel 27, we're picking up where we left off last week, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Old Testament. Let me encourage you to read the second half of Hebrews chapter 9 for this coming Sunday as we continue looking in the New Testament on Sundays. So tonight we're going to continue to look at this young man who is really an enigma, hard to figure out sometimes, but what an encouragement to all of us. Because David is called a man after God's own heart, but we see David, last week, David just seemed like such a great guy. If you were here last week, David was put in circumstances where he could have easily gotten to his flesh and wiped out Saul. But you know what? David remained faithful. But we see David kind of going on a roller coaster ride, and what's an encouragement about that is he's called a man after God's own heart, which means that God can use people like you and me because we can absolutely relate to David. Amen? We look at David's life and we see that sometimes we can be on fire for God doing really well and then other times we just slip right off into our flesh and go so far away from the Lord in the way that we live for Him. And David did exactly that and yet God calls him a man after God's own heart. So David was both humble, he was fearless, and he was faithful. He was a man of God, one of the the greatest men of God who's ever lived. He was so humble that his own father, when it was time to bring the, the young boys in, to bring the boys in before Samuel to anoint one king, he doesn't even bring David in. His own dad didn't think a whole lot of David. David was so humble that even after being anointed king, he continued to watch the sheep. David was so humble that even after being anointed king, he still went in and played music for King Saul, who was the fleshly king who men had called for. David continued to shepherd, to be faithful, and to even play the music even after the king threw spears at him. Not only was he humble, he was fearless. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He saw things from a spiritual and eternal perspective. Knowing that God was on his side and leading the way, he was bold in the face of opposition. You know what? We saw him several times. Remember the first time, of course, when he delivered the supplies to his brothers? He sees Goliath coming out and challenging them. We all know the story. And he goes down and fights an 11-foot, 750-pound man covered in armor with an armor bearer going before him with a rock in his hand. How do you do that unless God's on your side? Amen? But David saw it from a spiritual perspective, and he was a man of, who was all, not only humble, but he was very fearless. Later we know that he went out and he fought the Philistines to the point where he was known as a mighty warrior. They began to sing songs about him. David slayed his, you know, Saul slayed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. His, his obedience and his fearlessness resulted in not only Goliath being slain, but the Philistines being overrun and the people's faith increasing. But not only was he fearless and humble, but he was also faithful. In times when nobody else would stand up, David would. In times when it seemed like things were unfair, he continued to trust in God. He was faithful to the Lord. He honored God. So he was fearless. He was faithful. He was humble. He was a man for God's own heart. What a great guy David is. But there were some bumps along the way, weren't there? And sometimes they seem like a little bit of a sidetrack. Today, in tonight's text, it's going to be more than a sidetrack. We know that at one point he lied to one of the priests. 
He was running from Saul, and when he came to Ahimelech, instead of just telling him the truth, he wanted food, and he told him he was about Saul's business. And in lying, what ended up happening was somebody overheard it, and 85 priests and all their families were put to death. David's lie cost people their lives. We then saw that later, David, in fleeing from Saul, ran down to the Philistine land, and he was there with a man named Achish. And we're going to talk about him again tonight. And if you'll remember, he thought he was going to find peace by running to the Philistines. Guys, you will never find peace running to the world. You will never find peace running to the enemy of God. But that's what David did. And we know he wasn't down there very long. And what happened? He realized, big mistake. So he had to act like a madman to get out of there. If you remember, he got on the ground, he began to claw, and he allowed you know, spit to come out of his beard. And they finally said he's lost his mind, and they let him go. Now, after all of that, we saw what the last few weeks... David being this man of great faith. If you were here last week, I titled the message, because it spoke so highly of David, I titled the message that, you know, David was a man who stood firm in the the face of, you know, great consequences in a time of great despair. And if you were here for it, you'll remember how he reacted. His reactions were godly. He reacted in faith, not in fear, in the face of great opposition. He stood for God when it would be easy to be quiet about his faith. And all the way through the chapter, if you'll remember what happened, God led him into the, to the land of all of the people that were trying to kill him. And, and King Saul was there and he was sleeping with hundreds of soldiers. And David saw him coming and instead of running, he walked right down into the camp. God caused a deep sleep to fall on Saul. He walked in and grabbed the water jug and the spear. And then he walked outside the camp and he told, hey Saul, I got your stuff. I could have killed you, but I didn't. And we saw that David responded in faithfulness in a time when he could have so easily responded in the flesh. And so this is where, what, how, what leads into the chapter we're getting to tonight. I'm taking all this time to say we come from a point, a high point in David's life. A time when David says, you know, God is faithful. And the chapter ends the way that it ends with King Saul praising David. King Saul says to David, you know what, David? You're God's man. For the second or third or fourth or fifth time. He finally, he says it again. You're God's man. I've blown it. You know what, David? God bless you. You know what? And then Saul went away back to the palace and David continued on his way. So it looks like a high point in David's life. He's continuing to trust God. He's not striving for the throne. He didn't kill King Saul when he could have, even though if he had killed him, he probably would have become king. He said, you know what? The Lord will take vengeance upon him. He had learned that lesson when he wanted to take vengeance on Nabal and Abigail came along and said, don't do it. And he didn't. And God brought him down. He said, you know what? I'm going to leave him in God's hands. And so now you would think coming to chapter 27, things are going to be great. But you know what? Sometimes we can look really strong on the outside when we're struggling on the inside. And that's exactly what's been happening with David. David's been making stands for God, but while he's troubled all along. And so if you're a note taker tonight, I titled the message, The Dangers of Despair. The Dangers of Despair. What happens when we are moved by our feelings, emotions, and circumstances instead of God's word and his promises? So here are the dangers of despair. Number one, when we're moved up by despair, we will depart from God's will. When we, move, when we are moved by despair, we will depart from God's will. Number two, our despair or our lack of faith, they're synonymous, impact those around us. When we are in despair, we impact those around us. Okay? 
Number three, when we depart from God's will, attacks from the enemy will often seem to go away. Sometimes when we you know, depart from God's will and we say, okay, you know, I just can't take this anymore. Living this Christian life is just too tough. I'm just going to go back to my old way. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. And sometimes it will seem like a relief initially. Again, he's going to attack those being used by God the most. And when we walk away, often it will seem like the attacks go away. Number four, in our despair, we may, we may seek to find favor in the enemy's eyes. You know, that'll often happen. You know, now that we're in despair with God, we go to try to find favor somewhere else. We put our faith in someone else, in something else. We pursue someone or something else other than the Lord. But in the end, it will result in full-fledged rebellion. And then lastly, in our despair and rebellion, we may seek to find comfort in our sin while at the same time trying to cover up our behavior. So, we're going to see all this in David tonight. And so again, if you're a note taker, these are, these are things that people deal with all the time. Can I tell you, just as a way of you know, springboarding into the message itself, that probably the number one thing I speak to people about who are struggling with their faith is when they put their emotions and their thoughts above God's word. When they start thinking they know better than God, they will never come out and say they know better than God, but they will start to question the God of God's word and start to doubt God's word and start to be moved by their emotions or what other people say or what their mom told them or their friend told them or what they saw on TV. Who cares about any of that? What does the Bible say? Amen? And David is going to be moved by despair because he's going to forget the word of God and start looking at his circumstances and throw up his hands. And guys, we can all, David, mighty man of God, falls away into rebellion in tonight's chapter because he despairs. Pastor Dave, are you telling me it's a sin to despair? Yes, I am. What? We'll talk about that. Let's move through the chapter. That doesn't seem right. Well, let's talk about it. Look at verse 1. It says, and David said, according to the word of God. Is that what it says? And David said in what? In his heart. David said in his heart, Now shall I perish someday by the hand of Saul. Now, what are you talking about, David? God has protected him from Saul over and over and over and over. Amen? I do not believe that Saul was a bad aim, and that's why he kept missing David with those spears when he was sitting next to him. God was protecting David. Amen? Saul came after him at night, and God used his wife... Saul's daughter to wake him up and to send him on his way and they showed up to kill him and he was gone. Repeatedly Saul had him one other time Saul had him surrounded if you remember he was surrounded on all sides and God allowed word of an attack coming to make Saul retreat at the very last moment to protect David. David is in the cave. Saul comes into the cave. He cuts his robe. Saul doesn't notice him. God's protecting him. And then last chapter, we saw David walk right into the middle of the camp, and God caused a deep sleep to fall over all of them, and God protected him. And now the very first verse of the very next chapter after God has protected him is, oh, Saul's going to kill me. Did God make a promise to David? He told him, you will be king over Israel. Has David been king over Israel yet? No. So that means he's indestructible. Amen? God, nobody's going to kill him because God's not through with him. You and I are indestructible until God is through with us. 
Nobody goes to heaven one second too soon or one second too late. It's always right on time according to God's perfect timing. Amen? But here's David. David! David, I'm fighting 11 foot 750 with a rock, David. David, I'm fighting the giant when everybody else is shaking, David. David, man of great faith, David. David slaying the Philistines. David being such a man of, of humility. And now look at his words. What a quick and incredible 180 from the previous chapter. From a godly response to attacks of the enemy when he didn't react to the circumstances. He responded in faith, not fear. He was moved by God's word, not the words of men. He showed love and compassion toward his enemy. He did all of those things. And here we are, just the next verse, and we see David and his feelings come out. God had given him boldness and faith before, and now because he's trusting in his flesh, he's walking in fear. And again, it seems out of left field that David would respond after such an awesome work of God this way, with the heart of faithlessness and despair. Now I shall perish some day. What's happened to him? Here's what's happened. Go back to the first part of the verse. David said in his heart. Here's what happened to David. He was being moved by his emotions, not the word of God. Do you know that your feelings will lie to you? Amen? But I don't feel. Okay, whatever. Here's the point, guys. He gave us the Bible for a reason. Amen? Can you imagine if we didn't have the Bible? What a train wreck. Amen? We'd all be, well, I feel, I feel, I feel, I think, I feel. It would just be, it would just be. We'd have 900 million gods and we'd be Hinduism. That's what we would be, right? The point is, that's why we have the Word of God that keeps us on track. Amen? And this is a spirit-filled man that got off track because he was moved by his feelings. Guys, our feelings are often grounded in our flesh, aren't they? And our flesh lies to us and our flesh will move us and our flesh will tell us what we want to hear. Feed me, feed me, it will say. And David is being moved by his thoughts and his emotions instead of the word of God. While standing strong outwardly, David had grown weary and he knew he could not trust in the words or promises of Saul. Saul had promised before he would leave him alone. How do I know I can trust him this time? David, it doesn't matter. God told you he's going to protect you. It's not the words of Saul you need to be trusting in. It's the word of God. But my boss broke his promise. That's okay. God's faithful to his. Amen? But the person lied to me and they ripped me off. God promises to care for you. Amen? So you trust in his word and whatever happens. That's okay. Love them and minister to them anyway. David sadly had taken his eyes off of the Lord and put it on the enemy. And whenever you do that, you're in big trouble. And David is in despair. Instead of trusting in the unfailing promises of God, he's allowed his circumstances to make him focus on the false promises of a fallible man. David said in his heart. May have never said it out loud. He may have never said it to anyone else, but he said it in his heart. You know what? The enemy loves to attack your thought life. The enemy loves to draw you away with your thought life. And you know what, guys? Our thoughts are powerful things. And if we allow our thoughts to focus on sinful things, the Bible even says if a man looks at a woman and lusts, you know, has lust, lust for her in his heart, he's committed adultery, right? The Bible says if you have hatred towards your brother, you've committed murder. These are things that happen in our thought life and in our heart without us ever saying a word. And you know what breaks my heart? And this was heavy on me as I studied this chapter. 
Sometimes people are at the edge of despair and they never say a word. Most of you know, not long ago, we had a young man in our church commit suicide. And nobody had a clue it was coming. Because he never said a word. If you don't hear anything else I say to you tonight, if you're ever at a point of despair, if you're ever at that place where you're just at the end of yourself and you're struggling to that point, don't be quiet about it. Amen? We are the body of Christ. We are family. We love you. All of, We love you. And we want to minister to you. And there's nothing you can say that will make us stop loving you. There's nothing you can do that make, can make you beyond God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Amen? And so no matter what you're going through, don't pull it, David, and keep it all in and then just blow it. Instead, when you're at that point, turn to somebody who will reach out to you in love and minister to you. Amen? And can I encourage you, if someone comes to you in that point, we should never, ever, ever be self-righteous or judgmental, ever. Amen? That you, that's your problem? What's wrong with you? Hey, we're all sinners. Amen? And if you've got that attitude, you've got a, the problem with pride. So get over yourself, because that's the very thing that got Satan thrown out of heaven. How does that feel? Amen? So we need to get over that. And so David's at that point of despair. He's thought it in his own heart. Many of you have heard this before. It's been said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a destiny. You know, it starts with our thought life. And the Word of God tells us to meditate on these things, right? To set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. We're to serve God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen? We need to give Him our thought life. We need to give Him everything. Lord, it's all yours. We fall into despair when we don't give Him our thought life. We don't give Him every aspect of who we are. We are indeed to serve Him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. We need to both to guard both our minds and our hearts. Guys, guard what you listen to. Guard what you watch. Guard what you entertain yourself with. It impacts the way you think. Amen? But if you spend time in God's Word, doesn't it give you an eternal perspective? You spend time in prayer. You spend time at the foot of the cross. You spend time in fellowship with other believers. And you know what? Your focus, your passion, everything changes. You know, most of you know I went back to work. And I'll tell you what, I am in the most negative group of people I've ever seen. I went to work and I'm like, Lord, now I know why I'm here. And I don't like it much. I'm just being honest with you. I'm like, these people need Jesus bad, right? I mean, what a bunch of snivelers, right? And I'm thinking, I've never seen anything like it. And you know what, though? Guys, that's the world we live in today, amen? People are just so focused, self-centered, all about them. Oh, and they just complain about everything. And guys, you know what? We need to be reminded whose kids we are. And guys, we have nothing to complain about and everything to rejoice about, amen? We're going to heaven. We're children of the King. May words like that never come out of our mouth, amen? So it is a sin to despair. Guys, when you despair, don't be condemned. Turn to the Lord. When you despair, remember whose kid you are. Remember how valuable you are to God. What price was paid for you. David despairs. David, a man after God's own heart, despairs. So I'm not saying that godly people don't despair. Of course they do, but we should not stay there. We need to recognize it for what it is and turn from it. And so this is where we find David. By the way, guys... When you despair, God already knows you're despairing, so tell him. He's not surprised. 
You're not keeping it from him. Oh, yeah, if I say anything, God will know I'm despairing. He already knows. Amen? Second of all, like I said, share it with others. We love you guys. We want to reach out to you. Guys, all of us, at times, go through times of despair. Amen? But it doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean it's something that we, we rest in. We all, we all tell lies too, right? Sometimes. We all exaggerate sometimes. We get angry sometimes, don't we? Does that mean they're okay? No. It's still sin. Then it says, now look at this. I don't know how you get from, but what, look at this. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. What are you talking about? The land of the Philistines. Who was a Philistine? Goliath was a Philistine. You know, David of 1 Samuel 17 needs to have a talk with David of 1 Samuel 27. He needs to go, dude, that's our enemy. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against our God? That's what he said about Goliath, right? Now he says, there's no better place for me to be than with the uncircumcised Philistines. How in the world? Guys, but can't you relate to it? Sometimes so passionate, so on fire for God. Have you ever been so close to God in just worship and fellowship that you just don't want to move? You know what I'm talking about? You're just like right there. I just want to stay here, Lord. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right here. And then time goes on and work and someone cuts you off on the freeway and something happens. And before you know it, oh, I'm not there anymore, right? And if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? God didn't move. You did. And here's the point in David's life. He was this once on fire guy. And now he's saying, you know what? Saul keeps chasing me. I'm so tired of it. I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to go live with the Philistines. I'm just going to go live with the world. That's it. I quit. I'm just done with it. Saul won't chase me there. Where did this thought come from? David's fear had caused him to flee. Where previously his faith had caused him to stand, now his fear causes him to flee. Is there anything we should flee from as Christians? What's the answer? Yes, there is. Ah, right? Wrong answer. The Bible says flee youthful lusts. Doesn't it? The Bible also tells us to flee temptation. Amen? So there are things we should flee from, but we're not to ever flee from God. Or His presence. Or His people. Or being in fellowship. I think I told you during my, in my training class up in San Francisco, there was a young man who had not been in church in eight years because he grew up in a Christian home and his dad used to beat him up every day. And so he said, if that's what Christians are, I want no part of it. And I've been talking to him about the Lord, and he said, well, I believe in God, I just don't believe in Christians. And I said, well, I, I understand that a little bit, but here's the point. The Bible says, forsake not together yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? But there's hypocrites at the church. Well, that's true. But here's the point. I'd rather spend a few hours on Sunday with a few hypocrites than eternity in hell with all of them. Amen? <laughs> the point is, we need to be in fellowship. We need, we need to be around other believers who can encourage us in our faith. David is going to run away from God's people. He's going to run away to, right into the arms of the enemy. Why? Because it's just tough being the king. Sometimes being a Christian is just too tough. I want to go back. Guys, people say that Christian life is hard. I disagree. A life outside of Christ is hard. Walking around without God, I can't even imagine living five minutes without Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And people go, oh yeah, it's hard to be a Christian. No, it's not. It's hard not to know God. It's hard to walk around not understanding what life is about. It's hard to try to live it on my own. It's hard not having the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. That's hard. Walking with God is a blessing. And it's a joy. And it's a get to, not a have to. Amen? What a blessing. And yet, David, David, what are you doing? And so he thinks, this is my best plan. This is why we don't think for ourselves. Amen? My best plan, go live with the Philistines. That's it. That's what I'll do. You know what? I'm going to quit the ministry, and I'm just going to go live in a strip club. That's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm just going to go live on Skid Row and just drink till I die. That's what I'm going to do. Those are really good plans. But this is what David's doing. I'm going to leave God and go live with the Philistines. The pagan idolaters. You know, I think maybe they really have the answer. Let me go live with them instead. This is David's choice. Bad plan, David. Bad plan. Now, I want to say this, and we're going to move on. What's interesting to me is there are a lot of people that think that David did God's will in going there. Because when we get to the end of the chapter, he's going to start killing all the enemies in the, in, the, in the land where the Philistines are. And some commentators tried to say, well, David really was obeying God, and he was just being a double agent to go in there. Uh, uh, no, not true. You know why? Because it says in 1 Samuel 22, God told David, stay in Judah. So what should he have done? Stayed in Judah. That's it. Game over. There's no more discussion. Amen? God told him, stay in Judah. He left Judah. Sin. Wrong. Shouldn't have done it. Amen? And too often, oh, but, but look how it, guys, how it turns out is not permission for how you get there. Too often people say, but look, good came of it. Doesn't matter. Obeying God is what matters. And look what he says. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. If I just go live with the idolaters, Saul will quit looking for me. David, this is worse. Do you understand that? Here's the difference. Running from Saul is him walking in the center of God's will. God said, you're my man, serve me, and yes, there will be trials that come from the enemy. Going to live with the Philistines is contrary to God's plan. So guys, let me ask you something. Is it better to face trials in the center of God's will or to go through life seemingly to have it easy outside of God's will. The whole point is that he's going to trade trials in for the consequences of sin. Do you understand that? When you turn from God, you're giving up trials for walking godly for consequences for walking ungodly. Give me trials for walking godly all day. Amen? And that's exactly what David is going to trade in. Now, some see despair and doubt as not a big deal. Oh, we all struggle with it. But I want to read you a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. If you don't know who he is, he was called the Prince of Preachers in 19th century England. God used him in a mighty way to bring revival there. He would preach on Sunday mornings, and so many people would be inside, they'd have to stand outside in the rain with umbrellas and lean into the window. They would take every word from his message and reprint the entire thing on the front page of the, of the Monday morning London Times. Can you imagine that happening in the Sentinel? So what does he say? I love this quote. I don't quote people often, but I love this. He says, To doubt the loving kindness of God is thought by some to be very small sin. In fact, some have even exalted the doubts and fears of God's people into fruits of grace and evidences of great advancement in experience. He says, It's humiliating to observe that certain ministers have pampered and even petted men in unbelief and distrust of God 
being in this matter, false to their master and to the souls of his people. Far be it from me to smite the feeble of the flock, but their sins I must and will smite, since it is my firm conviction that to doubt the kindness, the faithfulness, and the love of God is a very heinous offense. And I say amen to that. When we doubt God's word, we're doubting God. Who in the world are we to doubt God? Who in the world are we to question God? When we are in despair, we're saying, God, you don't care. God, you're not really paying attention. God, I'm afraid because, God, you're not... We either trust God or we don't, amen? Now, we have moments of despair, all of us. We have doubts, we have troubles, we have trials. But guys, we need to recognize it for what it is. It's sin. And we need to turn back to the Lord and put all of our trust in Him. Fear and doubt are indeed sin. Discouragement and despair have become far more powerful enemies than Saul ever was to David. Right? Saul, if Saul had said to him, you're banished to the land of the Philistines, what would he have done? I'm not going. Right? He would have told Saul, pound sand, I'm not going. But he allowed despair and discouragement to drive him there. Why was he doubting? Because he began looking at Saul when he should have been looking at God. And again, I believe it was God's will for him to remain, him to be faithful. And the good news is, when this is all over, God's still going to use David. Isn't that good news to know? God can still use us. So number one, the dangers of despair, being moved by despair, we depart from God's will. Number two, our despair or lack of faith impacts those around us. Look at verse 2 and 3. Then David arose and went over with 600 men who were with them to, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives. That's another problem. We'll get to that at another point. David has two wives, one wife, two wives, Ahinoam of the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. So here's what happens. Do you remember that the first time David went down to the Philistines, he went by himself? Remember? And when he was there, he realized, a uh, bad plan. And so he had to pretend like he was crazy to escape. This time he goes back and he takes 600 people with him and their families. Something David, walking in the Spirit, would absolutely have never done. David would have never done this. David would have never led people into the land of the Philistines. But our lack of faith and our despair and our discouragement impacts not only us, but it impacts others. Our ungodly actions are not only sin, they can cause others to stumble as well. Guys, whether you know it or not, every one of you has a sphere of influence. You have family members, you have friends, you have co-workers, you have neighbors. You have people who know about you that may not even know you intimately, and the way you walk with God impacts them. And if you were to completely and totally blow it, you would stumble them. We need to be reminded of that. Amen? That is it. Now, does that mean we don't sin? Of course we do. But I'm talking about, as we see with David, just walking in flat-out rebellion when we rebel we impact not only our walk with god but those around us you know as a pastor at pastor's conference i've talked to guys about this before it's a very sobering thought for a pastor it's a sobering thought for every believer on the planet 
I'll tell you, it's a very sobering thought for a pastor. I think back to having been a pastor for almost 20 years now. I think about the thousands of people that God has allowed me to stand up in front of and teach the Word of God. I think about all the kids that were in my youth group. Some of my youth group kids are now 35. That, That says something about how old I'm getting, right? I think about all the people that listen to our radio program. I think about the guys on the Monta Vista Christian football team where I'm the chaplain. I just think, and again, we all have those fears, but I think in my own life, if I were to fall, if I were to rebel against God, how it would impact all of those people. Now, it shouldn't because their eyes should be on God, not on me. But at the same time, we all need to realize that our actions do impact others. Amen? And I'll tell you what, we talked about this. A couple guys, we said, no, I would rather die. I would rather die. I'd rather be hit by a bus than cheat on my wife. Absolutely, hands down, no question. Why? One, I love God too much. Two, I love my wife too much. Three, I do not want to harm the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Guys, we want to live in a way that when people see us, they want to know the God we serve. They're not mocking the God that we serve. And I tell you, all of us as Christians, help us, Lord, to be a great reflection on you. And look who he goes to. He goes to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. Again, the Philistines. He runs to the land of the Philistines. To the same man he had sought refuge from before, and he had to act like a madman to get away. And then it says, not only did he run to him, verse 3 says, he dwelt with Achish. David goes down a road of sin. He had gone down before, but this time he goes even deeper, because this time he stays. He partners up with the Philistines. He just doesn't go, oh, whoops, that was a mistake. Let me get out of here. Instead, he goes in, and he's going to camp out there, as we're about to see, for 16 months. Guys, I've said this before. Let me say it again. I believe a sign of spiritual maturity is the distance of time between when we sin and when we repent. And I believe the more on fire for God we are, that time gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Amen? goes from months, weeks, out days, hours, minutes, seconds, nanoseconds, amen? As you're walking with the Lord, aren't you grieved immediately when you sin? Nobody has to tell you, you know, that was a sin right there. Nobody has to do that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit goes, that was, it. right, amen? Anybody else feel that way besides me? That's why I have no hair back here. It's got nothing, it's, I call it the Holy Spirit head slap. He just reminds, he loves me enough to tell me, wrong move, right, Amen? The Lord gave us the Holy Spirit to both comfort us and convict us, right? Comforts us in times of difficulty, but He convicts us in times of sin because He loves us, amen? He loves us enough to draw us back into right fellowship. But you know what? David has hardened his heart so much that he's going to spend 16 months in the land of the Philistines, wreaking habit, slaughtering people, and he's going to do all of it without heeding the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he has really rebelled against God. You know what this tells us? Nobody's above rebellion. If we don't keep pressing into the kingdom, if we don't keep trusting in God, we can all rebel. As soon as we get in our flesh, as soon as we start trusting in ourselves, as soon as we stop seeking Him in the Word, as soon as we stop seeking Him in prayer, as soon as we stop gathering together in fellowship, we're on our way to being David at this point in his life when he rebels against God. He runs from God to the enemy. So let me ask you a question. What is your achish tonight? What is the ungodly person or the ungodly thing that you run to in times of despair? When you're going through a tough time, is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it an ungodly relationship? 
Is it pornography? Is it becoming bitter and shutting down? Is it becoming vengeful? What is it? What do you run to? Guys, we all have those things that we can run to when we need to be running to the Lord. Lord, in times of despair, help me not to turn to the world, but to turn to you. Amen? David, at this point, runs and turns to the world. And it says at the end of verse 3, And each man with his household. David's despair impacted not only himself and the men, but their families. Let me start with you dads. I've said this many times. Christianity is more caught than taught. Amen? And your kids will watch you to see what a godly dad looks like, a godly man looks like, more than they'll even listen to what you say. You set the spiritual tone for your household. You are the one that determines, you know, how much God is honored. And you know what? You're going to stand, I'm going to stand before Almighty God one day accountable for what kind of household I led. Moms, you too are a Christ-like and godly example to your kids. And you are called by God to be a a representation, a picture for them that they can look at for one day when they grow up, if they're a, a young man, to see what a godly woman looks like, what they should be looking for in a wife, what a godly example of, of a helpmate. And you know what, guys? When we fall, if we blow it, if we reject God, we bring our whole family with us. We take our kids. If we refuse to be in fellowship, we keep our kids. If we are, you know, blowing a head gasket at our spouse, if we're acting in an ungodly way, we bring our children with us. David had done just that. He had run to the enemy. 600 men came and all their families came with them. Lord, help us to bring our families to the foot of the cross, not to take them away from the Lord. Amen? To draw them closer to Him. What example do your kids see? In response to times of difficulty. When they see something tough, how do they see you respond? Do you get angry? Do you blow it? Do you scream? Do you yell? Now guys, if you've done it in the past, can I encourage you that I believe a godly behavior by a parent when we blow it is to go to our kids and apologize. They need to see that what we did was wrong. Now we walk around with the iron fist. I'm the dad. Whatever I do is right. Hey, We need to go to our kids and say, that was wrong. That was ungodly. I've asked God to forgive me. Will you? That's a teaching opportunity. Amen? David blows it here. They drag their kids away. Why? Because their source of security should have been the Lord. Instead, they turn to the world. David's running to an ungodly Philistine for refuge, and he should have been turning to God. He was once described as a man after God's own heart. We know that in the end he ends up being that. I don't think he's a a man after God's own heart right here. I think he's a man after his own heart. And that's what he said. I I consider it my own heart. So the dangers of despair. Number one, when we're moved by despair, we depart from God's will. Number two, our despair or lack of faith impacts those around us. Number three, verse four. when When we depart from God's will, attacks from the enemy often seem to go away. Look what it says. And it was told Saul... That David fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Hey, it worked. That was a good plan. Right? He got tired of Saul attacking him, so he said, I'm going to go live with the Philistines in the land of idolatry. And you know what? Saul left him alone. Hey, it worked. That was a good plan on my part. I should have done that a long time ago. Guys, when we sin, it may first appear to bring relief. You know, Satan's resources are limited. He's going to go after those who are being used most by God. 
And sometimes it'll look like everything went away. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. When we walk away from God, in the short term, it may seem joyous and pleasurable, but in the long term, the consequences are going to be heavy. As we're going to see in David's life. Again, I said it before, which is better, standing with God and facing the enemy's temptations, or standing with the enemy and facing God's divine judgment? Let me stand with God. Amen? And the temptation's going to come, and the trials are going to come, but God already told me they would. And He also told me with temptation He would make the way of escape. So I'm not alone in this, and God's faithful. And when temptation comes, hey, that's okay, my God's greater. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I need help here. I can't do this myself. Help me. And God will help you every time. Amen? Or go out there and do it on your own. How's that working out for you? Fourth thing. In our despair, we may seek to find favor in the enemy's eyes. Look what happens. Verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes. Can you imagine David of 1 Samuel 17 ever going down to Goliath going, Okay, hey bro, everybody else is back there. They think I'm going to fight you. But really, I came down here to ask you, Could I find favor in your eyes? You think we could be friends? You think you, can, you and I could just make a look? You know, you're a pretty big guy. You know, with your size and my slingshot, we could go a long way together. I mean, can you imagine... You know, can you imagine him doing that? No way. What does he say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? And now he's going to the uncircumcised Philistines and asking them if we can partner up. Dude, if, you know, hey, do you think that, you know, uh, if I found favor in your eyes, do you, you know, the Bible says we are, if we are friends of God, we are enemies of the world. We're not to try to find favor in the eyes of the world, but favor in the eyes of God. Amen? Now again, you should not be the big jerk at work that walks around being self-righteous and everybody hates you and go, that's persecution. That just proves I'm walking with God. No, that proves you're a jerk. Amen? (laughs) The point is we should be loving and gracious and kind to everyone, but we should not be striving to find favor with men, but to be obedient and find favor with God. And David sadly instead chooses what? Hey, Achish. Hey, Mr. Idol-worshipping pagan. Um, If I find favor in your eyes. That's not a good thing, David. You shouldn't want that. That's not good. You know what? If everybody in the world thinks you're the greatest person who ever lived and they just sing your praise, something wrong with you. I tell people all the time, they say, well, yeah, I'm a new Christian. I don't know what to do about my friends. I say, guy, here's what you do. Just start serving God. One of two things will happen with all your friends. They'll get saved, or they won't want anything to do with you anymore. Amen? So just start walking with God. Don't be a jerk. Love Him. But serve God, and don't compromise. David is trying to find friendship with the world. When he was filled with the Spirit, who are these uncircumcised Philistines? And now, can I find favor in your eyes? And then look what he says. This is tragic. He says, if I find favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town or country that I may dwell there. For why should your what? Why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? David refers to himself as a servant of the ungodly pagan ruler Achish. I don't... Dude. He goes to the world and says, you know, I'm, your, I'm just your servant. So if you could hook a brother up. I, I just, you know... 
It hurts me to read that David, the guy God has called to be the spiritual leader of all of Israel, the man of God's own heart, the guy of all the people on the planet, he anointed as the next king of Israel to go to the most ungodly people on the planet who mocked the true and living God and say he wanted to be their servant. You've got to serve somebody, right? Bob Dylan sang it, right? It may be the devil, right? Or it may be the Lord. You've got to serve somebody. Everybody serves somebody. And guys, we're to submit to the authorities God has placed over us, but we are never to serve the gods of this world. Amen? Amen? Ever, 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 ever. And here's David. I just, you know, I'm your servant, man. I, you know, 1 Samuel 12, 20, at Saul's coronation, it said this. Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet you do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside. For then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. Do not fear. Don't turn aside to the things of this world. Why? Because they're unprofitable and they are nothing. You're pursuing that which is passing away when you ought to be pursuing God. And then verse 6. So, Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, this seems like an upgrade, because what did David, where did he come from? The wilderness. Remember, he's wandering around the wilderness. He's got no place to call home, right? He's constantly running. He's living in caves, right? He's having to ask Nabal for food. I mean, and now all of a sudden, he's got a fortified city. This seems like an upgrade. Hey, I went down there. Saul quit chasing me. I got my own city with walls around it. Of course, this is God's will. You may rebel against God. You may seem to be doing really well. You may profit in your business. You may, right? But guys, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What have you given up to gain worldly things? Let me ask you a question. Would you rather be in a fortress without God or in the wilderness with Him? They were in the wilderness with God, and now they're in the fortress without Him. I'd much rather be walking with the Lord, because where God has me is where God wants me. Amen? Our peace comes from our relationship with the Lord, not a physical fortress. Verse 7. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one year and four months. He spent 16 months. This, again, wasn't a momentary lapse of judgment. This was a deliberate choice of rebellion. And again, as I said before, spiritual maturity is seen in a quick time of brokenness before God. Maybe there's some here tonight. Maybe you've been living in rebellion against God for a long time. Nobody needs to know. I don't need to know the details, but can I, encourage, can I exhort you from a heart of love to quit walking in rebellion and get right with God? Amen? If you're sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend and you're not married, knock it off and get right with God. If you're going home and you're looking at pornography on the internet, knock it off and get right with God. If you're treating your spouse in a way that you should not be treating them, but you think nobody else knows, repent and get right with God. If you're not giving your boss a full day's work, if you're showing up late and you're leaving early and you're taking a long lunch and you're not honoring the Lord, knock it off and get right with God. If you're cheating on your taxes, if you're, guys, if there's anything we're doing outside of God's will, Lord, help us to realize that serving you is a joy and it's a get to. And Lord, we know that you have not forbidden sin. You know, it's not bad because it's forbidden, it's forbidden because it's bad. He forbids it because he loves us. He knows what's best for us, and he wants us to come away from the harm. And you know what? 16 months he stayed there. And 16 months he became a very brutal man. Last point. In our despair and rebellion, we may seek to find comfort in our sin. 
while at the same time trying to cover up our behavior. Look at verse 8. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Malachites. For those nations were of the inhabitants of the land of old, as you go, as, go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man or woman alive. But he took away the sheep and the oxen and the donkeys and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. Now, the word raided there in the original language means to strip clean. The idea of slaughtering bodies and then stripping everything from them and taking them as spoils. Is this the behavior of a man after God's own heart? But this is David's behavior. Now, are there times when God has told him to go out and wipe out the enemy? Yes. But you know what? Did God tell him to do this? No. Is David doing this in his own accord? Yes. Who's profiting from this? David. Now, from his perspective, could he not say, look, I left the land of promise. Oh, well, I'll go back there later. I left there. Saul's not chasing me anymore. I got a big fortress and look at all my stuff. You know what? God is blessing me. No. You're outside of God's will. Amen? This is why we need to be careful how we equate blessing. Sometimes people drive by a big house in the hill. Man, that guy's really blessed. Is he? Is he really? Maybe he's living so far outside of God's will and he's totally lost in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? We need to focus on what blessing is. Blessing is that which will outlast this life. It's that intimate fellowship with the Lord. If you've got Jesus Christ in your life, no one's more blessed than you. Amen? And sadly, we, we equate blessing the wrong way. And here's David, you know, who's become nothing more than a robber and a murderer. He's a raider. He pillages. He loots. He's doing it all at this point for personal gain. No direction from the Lord. No permission from God. He's, again, someone who's outside of God's will. He's compromising. He's in sin. Verse 10. Then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of Jemahel, the Jeremalites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. Now, these were all enemies of the Philistines, and they were all allies of Israel. And he really wasn't attacking them. He was attacking the enemies of Israel. And that's why some people say, well, he was really doing God's will. No, because just because we do a godly thing, if we're doing it outside of God's command or God's will, it's ungodly. Amen. If God didn't tell us to do it, we shouldn't be doing it. And so the point is, he's now lying to cover up his sin. Right? He goes to Achish. Now, guys, we should be able to stand before the world and proclaim the truth with boldness. Not stand before the world and tell a bunch of lies so we can fit in. And I believe this is a precursor to a chapter that is very famous in Scripture. David is lying to cover up his sin. Later, David and Bathsheba. He sees her. He should be out fighting the battle. He's up on the rooftop. He brings her into his house. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He sends her back. He calls in her husband, right, to make him think he got her pregnant. When he won't, he sends him to the front of the enemy lines to die. And then he brings her into his house trying to cover up his sin with nothing but lies. You know what? The precursor to that is this verse. He stands right before Achish and says, oh yeah, I went down, I killed your enemies for you. Well, he's just lying to the enemy, that's okay, right? I'm lying to my boss, but he's not saved, so that's okay, right? Uh, no, it's not. We shall not lie. Lord, help us not to put ourselves in places 
with people where we are forced or we have to choose to compromise. Verse 11, David would save neither man nor woman to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. What did he do? He would go in and kill every man and woman so nobody would tell on him. Let's just slaughter everyone so I can get away with my behavior. Again, this is David, man, after God's own heart. Aren't you glad? If you only read this chapter about David, you'd be like, ooh. I'd be changing my name. My name's David, right, if you didn't know that. I'd be like, oh, I don't, not so much. I think I'll go by my name. Call me Brad from now on. I mean, you know, you look at his, this chapter, and you think, I, not so much. But praise God for his grace that David was a mighty man of God before this, and he's going to be a mighty man of God after. And he's still got some more things where he's going to blow it, but God is so faithful. Lastly, it says, So Achish believed David, saying he has made, it, made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. Now, David had fooled the enemy, but he still was in a situation where he was outside of God's will. Again, we should live a matter of life that we can stand and speak with boldness and honesty, both to those who know God and those who don't. Amen? Because later, David's behavior could be used against God to say, look, another hypocrite. Another person who says they know God but lies to our face. Another guy who pretends to walk with God, but look how he treats people. And that's exactly how David was. So in closing, the dangers of despair. Number one, what happens when we are moved by our feelings and emotions and circumstances instead of God's word and His promises? Number one, moved by despair, we will depart from God's will. Number two, our despair or lack of faith impacts those around us, most significantly those closest to us. Number three, when we depart from God's will, attacks from the enemy often seem to go away. Know that those attacks are being used by God. Number four, in our despair, we may seek to find favor in the enemy's eyes, and the end result for that will be rebellion. And then lastly, in our despair or rebellion, we may seek to find comfort in our sin, while at the same time trying to cover up our behavior. Guys, if you're in a place where you've been covering up your sin, God knows you're sinning. Let's get right with Him. Amen? The Bible says, Be holy, for I am holy. Again, we're sinners in need of a Savior. We're saved by grace. We don't try to do good works to earn God's favor. It's because we've been saved that the good works happen. Amen? It's fruit of good works, not what earns our salvation. And so, guys, our heart should be to walk in the center of His will, that His name might be glorified, and that He might be able to use us for His kingdom and His glory, that we might honor Him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You. And Lord, I do pray for anybody in a place of doubt or despair or discouragement tonight, Lord, that You would encourage them, that You would bless them. Father, I pray they would not walk out of this room without asking for prayer. And Lord, that we would function like the body of Christ. We'd be an encouragement one to another. We would never be judgmental. Lord, because every one of us, we have times where we struggle with these things. But Lord, we struggle only because we take our eyes off of you. We forget how great you are. And Lord, in the midst of our trials, in our flesh, it's easy for us to do that. But Lord, I pray that we would press into your kingdom. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. Help us, Lord, to to keep our eyes on you, to walk in the center of your will. Lord, be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.